Praise the Lord, everyone. Well, this is all of the diligent ones, the ones that remember to set your clock ahead. Praise the Lord, you're here, amen. In the fall, when we sit back, you know, we always have a pretty big crowd to start with on Sunday school. But in the springtime, there's always something that forget to put their clocks forward, or they just simply just don't change it up here. You know, they change it on the clock, but not always up here. God bless you. We're so happy you're here today. Let's all pray together as we ask God to bless us here this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness and blessings, Lord. We praise you for your wonderful truth. We thank you for the privilege to study the Word of God. We ask you to touch our lives and hearts today as we look into thy Word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you, and you may be seated. And today I'm going to get back into the book of Daniel. Uh, we started <clears throat> studying the book of Daniel uh, the end of January and into the 1st of February. And uh, some things came up. My mother, as you know, passed away. And I went to her, went there to be with her before she passed away for about a week. And then after that, went back for the funeral and, uh, and so forth. And we sort of got sidetracked. Last week, I taught on a different subject altogether uh, that was not, not to do with Daniel. But today, I'm getting back on to this subject. The book of Daniel is a very interesting study. It's a study to do with prophecy. When you study prophecy, you, you know what's coming down the pike. It is a good feeling to know that what you are seeing in the world and the things that are developing is nothing new or nothing surprising. And uh, it's all recorded in the book of Revelation, other, other scriptures in the Bible, uh, Matthew chapter 24, uh, Luke 21, Mark 13, you know, they, they have those things in there. And then, of course, Daniel is where it all began primarily. It's not the beginning of prophecy, but it's beginning of the end time part of it and uh, I want to uh, do a little reviewing here before I get into the lesson that I want to talk about I'm going to get into chapter 8 by the Lord's help tonight this morning and the reason I want to get into chapter 8 of the book of Daniel I'm going to it'll take me a little bit to get there but before but the reason I want to get into chapter 8 is because this is where we locate the area that the Antichrist will come out of. And that's where we're headed in that study, is to understand that the, where the Antichrist or what area of the world that he's coming from, and it pretty well spells it out and pinpoints it, but there's a lot of behind uh, the scenes things that we have to see and know and understand in order to understand that. And uh, the things in the Bible that has to do with prophecy is put in types and shadows. Uh, they were given to the prophets in forms of, uh, of visions and, uh, and uh, dreams even that they had, and they did not always see what we see with the natural eye. They saw it in the spiritual world. So I'm going to sort of help you to understand those things if, if you will allow me to do so. I want to take a little, a quick uh, uh, refers here to Israel whenever she was back under Solomon's reign. I'm going to put this little map up here. And uh, I understand we're getting some new projectors. And these projectors will be much brighter 
so that the screen will be brighter. But this is a map of Palestine. And uh, this white line that I have here is where the kingdom of Israel was divided. These different colors are different tribes of Israel. There were 12 tribes of Israel altogether. And uh, these colors here represent those tribes. And whenever Solomon was king, Israel was at its peak. But because Solomon and the children of Israel began to fail God, the Lord said, Solomon, when you die, I'm going to have the kingdom of Israel divided so that your son will only be the king over the southern part of it, this part from here down. And then there will be another person who will be the king over this northern part. And the kingdom indeed was divided when Solomon died. It was divided between Rehoboam, the king of the north, and Jeroboam, the king that would be of the south, uh, rather Jeroboam and Rehoboam in the south. And uh, the southern part here was called Judah. The northern part here came to be called Israel, but all of it was Israel. Uh, many times you hear the statement said that there were 10 lost tribes. Have you heard the statement, 10 lost tribes of Israel? They were never really lost. Uh, it refers to this northern part of Israel here. Two of them stayed in the south, Benjamin and Judah. Simeon sort of got migrated in all of it together. But the, most of them were all up here in this northern part of Israel. And uh, they, they continued on as a nation uh, for, you know, probably a couple of hundred years. And they kept getting worse and worse. And finally, God said, I am sick and tired of your sins and all the things you're doing. And so I'm going to send a nation upon you to judge you. And he would send words by the prophets. And the prophets would come. Now, this uh, map here is a map showing it enlarged somewhat. This is Palestine right in here. This is the part we just showed you. Right in here. This is the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, and this is the Dead Sea right here. This arrow points to Jerusalem. Now, over here is an arrow pointing to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of, uh, of, of, uh, of Assyria. Not Syria, but Assyria. And uh, Assyria became a powerful nation and begin to romp and conquer and capture and take over areas all around the then known world. And in doing so, they came down into Palestine and conquered the Northern Kingdom, the Northern Kingdom. And then they went after the Southern Kingdom and his guy's name was Shennacherib. Now that's gonna be on a test next week, so don't forget that. <laughs> Shennacherib. Anyhow, Shennacherib, this king came down and he tried to go after Judah. And when he went after Judah, Hezekiah, uh, who was the king, told Isaiah about it. And Isaiah and Hezekiah began to pray. And Isaiah laid that letter that Shennacherib sent him saying, don't try to depend on your God. Your God cannot defend you against our forces. And he laid it before the Lord and said, now God, this is what this guy Shennacherib about here from Assyria is saying about you, <laughs> you know. So he says, and the Lord spoke to Isaiah and said, go tell Zechariah not to worry that there will be word that will come to them for them to say, you know what, we need to get out of here and pull up stakes. And sure enough, the next day, 
whenever all that Assyrian army was gathered around ready to batter the walls down in the southern kingdom of Jerusalem, and it was in Jerusalem, they were fixing to come in on it. Uh, the word came to Shennacherib, you better get home. You've got a revolution and a rebellion going back home. When he got back home, uh, they, they plotted against him, and he finally was killed, killed in his own temple where he worshiped his God and so forth. That's another story. But the point is that that northern kingdom then fell in 721 B.C. Uh, to the Assyrians, but the southern kingdom survived. As long as the southern kingdom survived, Israel was a nation and was called Judah. That's where the name Jew comes from. It's called Judah. And so Judah continued to exist as a nation. And these other nations up here, these other tribes were scattered throughout uh, this then, you know, then known world part of it. Later on, the Babylonians rose to power. The Babylonians conquered Assyria, conquered Nineveh, and began to conquer everything around it. And they began to push different directions and so forth. And they finally came down in this area. They conquered uh, Egypt and all through in here. And then they came back past Jerusalem and uh, they warred against Jerusalem. And the guy who was the king, he was a young king and had only been king of Babylon for one year. It was during his first year. He came there and he conquered Jerusalem. And when he did, he took captive 10,000 of the choice young people that were in Babylon. This is why I'm talking about all this. And one of them was Daniel. Three of the others were Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel's friends. He took them all back to Babylon over here. See where my pen is. Took them all back over to Babylon. And incidentally, this area of Babylon that we're showing you here is really southern Iraq. If I put this map on top of that, like this, all the red lines here represent the boundaries of today's model. This is Syria in here. This is Iraq. Uh, this is Iran over in here. And this, of course, is Palestine. Jordan is right in here. So when you talk about Babylon over here, uh, which is right here, Babylon is in southern Iraq. You can see the red boundaries here. So it's uh, our central, a little bit central Iraq. And Nineveh is up here in northern Iraq. So both those empires back then, their, their cities, their capital cities was in the country of Iraq as we know it today. And I'll go back to this other map here since it's sort of clear with what we're dealing with at this time. Now, I want to talk to you about Daniel. Because when Daniel got over to Babylon, Daniel, uh, let me have you turn to the second chapter of the book of Daniel for a moment here. Go to Daniel chapter 2. When he got into Babylon, and uh, he was just a young man about 17 years old, Nebuchadnezzar in his second year of reign had a dream, and he saw this metallic form, this metallic image that was before him, and it scared him to death, and he didn't know what it meant, and he knew it had significance to it, but he didn't know what it meant, and it, it bothered him. And he said, I, I want to know what this thing is that I saw. Now, I'm going to put, I'm going to put this up here to represent what he possibly saw. This is uh, the image that he could have seen. This is a man's interpretation of it, of course. And uh, he said, I saw this image, and uh, 
And then he said, I want to know what it means. He called all the wise men, said, what does this mean? They said, we don't know what it means. Tell us what, this, what the dream was, then we'll tell you what the interpretation of it is. No, no, no. He says, you tell me what I dream. Then I'll know you know what the interpretation is. They said, we can't tell you what you dream because we don't know that. That's no, nobody's smart enough to do that. He said, no, no. He said, you tell me what I dreamed, then I'll know you'll have the interpretation. And if you don't tell me what I dreamed and give me the interpretation of it, every one of you, you're out. You're over with. I'm going to take your lives. And they said, no man can do this. And he said, all right. And he said, he started giving orders to have all the wise men executed. Well, it so happened that Daniel and his three friends were among these young people that had been chosen to be tutored and developed into wise men in Babylon because they were pretty smart. They were Jews from a different land, and he was trying to get all those bright brains that he could in his kingdom working for him. And so Daniel went before the Lord to pray, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They all prayed, and while they were praying, the Lord gave the whole thing to Daniel. And he said, go tell the king, don't worry, I got it all. And here he was now, 17-year-old young man, walked in before that king. And that king said, all right, if you're so smart, you tell me what I dreamed. And he said, I'll tell you what you dreamed. So uh, I'm going to read verse 31 to you, Daniel 2, 31. And he says, thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image, this great image whose brightness was excellent stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, uh, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands and smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and break them to pieces. Verse 35 then was the iron and the clay, the brass and the silver and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the shaft of the summer threshing floor. The wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now that's what you saw, O king. And the king's mouth was wide open. This, this lad knows exactly what I dreamed. And that's, and it, you know, and he's, he was thinking, yeah, this is exactly it. And this is what he, what he saw. And then he goes on to say here, now this is what the interpretation of it is. Look at verse 38. Now I'm going to give you another picture here of the same image. But here's some of the interpretation that Daniel gave them. Now I've already covered a lot of this. So you, a lot of you folks are saying this is a little repetitious. But I'm just trying to bring us together on what we've been studying here about Daniel's image and then the Daniel's uh, and about these beasts that he also saw. And this 38th verse says, uh, the last part of the 38th verse, he says this, and he gives the interpretation. He says, now here's the interpretation of it. Thou art this head of gold. Very end of verse 38. Look at the end of it. It says, thou art this head of gold. I'll save from reading all of it, save time. But he says, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold. You're the beginning of this image. That's what he was saying. You and the Babylonian kingdom. Now look what he says in verse 39. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee. 
In other words, notice here, this was of gold, and then the other one was of silver. This is of brass. This is of iron. The feet was of iron and clay. This is what he had seen. Now, he's giving the interpretation of it all. He says in verse 39, And after thee shall arise another kingdom in fear to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, excuse me, <coughs> which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom, which is the legs down here, the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these things shall it break in pieces and bruise. And he goes on to say in verse 41, And whereas thou sawest the feet and the toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided down in here, legs and then especially down in the feet and the toes. Divided, brother, it is in the feet and the toes. That's the end of it. But there shall be in it the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay. Uh, and so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And uh, he goes on to talk about this, uh, this kingdom down toward the end. And then he gives the, I'm going to save time here by going to verse 45. He gives the wrap up of it. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it break in pieces, the iron, the brass, the clay, and the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made thee know, known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof is sure. And uh, so what he's trying to say here is that in the end, this image or all of these Gentile empires that will rise and fall will come to naught. But God's kingdom, which represents the stone cut out of the hand, smote the image on the feet, is the one that will last forever. It will last forever. Uh, I'm going to back up and read verse 44 here in that second chapter. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. That's what Jesus did when he came. He came and set up his kingdom on earth. That's why that he and John the Baptist both said, behold, the kingdom of God is here. You know, and what is the kingdom of God? Joy, peace, and righteousness in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God on earth. And it has been here on this earth since Jesus' time, since the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost was poured out. That is the kingdom of God on earth. And is here to this day, is here even now, and will be until the Lord comes back again. Praise the Lord. And Jesus told his disciples when he went away, as I go away, so shall I come again in like manner, as you see me go away. And he goes on to say here then in this uh, 44th verse, I'm finished reading here, in the days of these kings shall the God of the king, which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Meaning that God's kingdom is the one that's going to eventually last and it will supersede all the others. Now, this period of time here uh, began in 606 B.C., or you can say 605, that's when the, well, in 606, that's when they conquered, when Nebuchadnezzar conquered Israel. And it has continued on to this day because these empires that have risen, Babylon was the first one. Babylon was conquered by the media Persian Empire. Cyrus the Great was the king who came against them and conquered them. The Grecian Empire conquered the, uh, the Media Persian Empire. 
media Persian is what's today known as Iran, Iran. And the, uh, the Grecian Empire is, you know what, you know, Greece, Macedonia, that area uh, was the one that followed there. And then the Roman Empire followed the Grecian Empire and conquered all the world at that time. And each one would conquer what the other had possessed before them. And finally, you get down here uh, toward the end of this whole age, and that's where we are today. And it is the feet and the toes and we're down here, I would, I would say very easily, we are in the toes part of this image and it's time for the wrap up, it's time for the Lord to come. Uh, the Lord's coming back for his people. You well know that and all of that is going, to be, uh, is going to happen. And the stone that hit the image on the feet is Armageddon. It's when the Lord comes back with 10,000s of his saints and they destroy the Antichrist and so forth. The Antichrist is going to rise at the very end. Now, uh, I want to move on a little bit further into this because what this shows us simply here is that this was a metallic form that Daniel saw. He gave the interpretation to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar said, oh, I understand, Daniel, you're a great man now. He made him an overseer over much of his kingdom. He said, listen, King Nebuchadnezzar, where you're at it, I got these three friends of mine, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Would you give them, uh, you know, part of this kingdom as well. Sure, he said. So he doles out more of it. And so here are these four Jewish boys now. They have been lifted up in honor because God put them there. You understand what I'm saying? God put them in the right place. Fifty years passed. Nothing happened. Fifty years rolled by and they stayed there in Babylon. In that fifty years, Nebuchadnezzar went back to, to Israel and said, look, straighten up, pay your taxes, or next time I come back, I'm going to destroy everything. In 588 B.C., he went back for the third time back to, to Jerusalem. When he did, he destroyed the city, destroyed the temple, burned everything to the ground, left everything in ashes. Daniel and his friends all were over in Babylon. And from that time on, starting here, these empires have always had dominion over Palestine. Now, this is important, folks. Israel has never been an independent nation. They've tried to be and they want to be, but they have never been at a place where they could say, we don't need anybody, we are sovereign within ourselves. And when they were under Babylon, they were subject to Babylon. Whenever they were... Uh, whenever they were uh, Later on, when the Media Persian Empire came in, they were subject to the Media Persian Empire. And the Greeks they were, and to the Romans they were, all the way through. And even down to this day, they are still not totally independent. That's why Netanyahu, Prime Minister of Israel, is over here courting, first it was Obama, and now it's Trump. The, pardon me for just using the last names on our presidents. But they were, he's courting them to get their support and their backing uh, toward Israel because they know they cannot survive as one little country by themselves. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? They're still subject to Gentile powers. Now, this era of time until the very end is spoken of by Jesus and is spoken of also by Paul. Uh, if you look with us for just a moment in uh, uh, Luke 21, 24. If you give us that verse of scripture, here's where Jesus referred to uh, this period.
period of time here, Luke 21, 24, they shall fall by the edge of the sword, speaking of Jerusalem uh, and the Jews at the uh, Roman conquest in 70 AD. This is all history. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive, and they were into all nations, and they were. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down to the Gentiles, and it was until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And this is called the time of the Gentiles. And Jesus said that it's going to happen until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. This is down Luke 21. And then in, in, in Romans 11.25, if you'll give us that one rather for just a moment, uh, Romans 11.25, this is Paul writing. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel. Now, this is, uh, this is Paul writing. Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in or fulfilled, completed. And so I'm just trying to show you here that this is called the time of the Gentiles and was understood that Israel would always be subject to these Gentile powers until the Lord said it's over with. All right? Everybody still with me? Now, 50 years later, after this all happened, and Daniel was now 67 years old, he had a dream, he had a vision. I want you to go with me to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, if you would. And uh, I've talked to you about this one. And this one, uh, he saw some animals come up out of the sea. This has had nothing to do with the image. It had to do with animals. And I'm going to put that little chart up there for you. And this is just pictures here. And I want you to look at the Daniel 7 with me for just a moment. Daniel 7. I'm going to get to chapter 8. I may not get far into it, but there's a lot that we're going to learn on this today and next week. Look at 7.1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Belshazzar was Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. Nebuchadnezzar served out his term of some 40 years, uh, whatever it was. Then his son served out a short period of time. And then his brother, the son's brother, that is the other son of Nebuchadnezzar, took over the reins for a while, and then his son was Belshazzar. And Belshazzar came on the throne, and in his first year that Belshazzar was on the throne, he was the last one to rule the Babylonian Empire. When he was on the throne, Daniel had a dream, I'm in verse 1, had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed when he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heavens strove upon the great sea. The great sea is the Mediterranean Sea. That's the sea that lies between Europe and, and North Africa. You know well know that. And then he goes on to say here in verse 3, and four great beasts came up from the sea. Now, if you like pictures, I'll uh, give you some pictures to, to, to uh, enhance all of this. Uh, this is... Uh, a picture of those four beasts that came up out of the sea. This is a, another artist's concept of it. Uh, this was the, the first one, the second one, the third one here, and then the fourth one back here. Now let me give you the name. Let me show you what they were. Everybody with me? They look scary, don't they? Look at the fourth verse. I'm in 7-4 here of Daniel. 
The first was like a lion. That's this one right here. And it had wings and so forth. And they all had symbolic meanings to it that had to do with that particular empire. Look at verse 5. And behold, another be second like a bear. A second like a bear. And it raised itself on one side and it had three ribs in its mouth. Then this is the bear right here, it shows. This was the second beast. Now look at verse 6. I'm in uh, Daniel 7 and 6. And after this, I beheld a, another, another like a leopard. And it goes on to say the leopard uh, that it showed uh, had four wings, four wings and four heads. So here's the leopard, four heads and four wings. Now take note of the four factor that's involved in the leopard here, the four factor. And then finally, he describes in verse 7, and this I saw in the night vision, behold, a fourth beast dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. It doesn't say what he looked like. It just said he was very dreadful and strong. And they had great iron teeth, and it devoured and broke in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that was before it. And it had ten horns, ten horns. Now, whenever we compare this with the image we realize the lion here represents that first empire of Babylon. The bear here represents the Media Persian Empire that followed the Babylonian, that conquered the Babylonian Empire. That the leopard and the four factor here, the four heads, the four wings, is very significant here. We'll talk about that a little later. But this represented uh, the, uh, the Grecian Empire that followed the media Persian Empire, which was today the country of Iran. And then, of course, the terrible beast, and it had iron teeth, very much like uh, the first one here talked about, it had legs of iron, which was the, uh, the beast that we talked, the image we talked about. It had legs of iron here. Uh, this one had iron teeth, and it goes on to say about this one, they're breaking pieces, and it had 10 horns, which corresponds with the 10 toes of the feet, of the legs, legs the feet, the feet. So what I'm pointing out to you here is that what the Lord showed Daniel in chapter 7 was similar to what was seen in, in chapter 2 by Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel interpreted. Only now it's 50 years later and things are beginning to take shape and take form and the Lord spoke to Daniel and said, Daniel, now here is what you're going to see now. I'm going to go a little further. Everybody still with me? Because when the Lord showed these beasts to Daniel, when he showed these beasts to him, I, I can also give you this picture here. This is another picture of, of four beasts. Maybe that one's a little bit easier to, to get a hold of. Not as quite as uh, photogenic, but it's... Uh, anyhow, this is the lion, the bear, the leopard with the four wings and the four heads. And then the terrible beast here. Now, when the, when the Lord gave this to Daniel and he had this vision, he sent to him an angel to give him the interpretation. And the interpretation came to him. And I want you to look with me, if you would, uh, in verse 8. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn. Everybody say with me, little horn. A little horn before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. We're talking about the ten horns now at the very end. The ten horns that are on the, on the uh, 
on this terrible beast, or you could, this one doesn't have a very good picture of it, but the ten horns that's on this beast here. He's, he's away in the background on that one. Let's use this one. And uh, so there was a little horn that came up, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. Behold, and this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, so we understand that it is a person. This horn's a person, and a mouth speaking great things. Now, Daniel went on to say uh, he would understand what this means. And when he started getting the interpretation of it, verse 11, I beheld then because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake, that little horn. And I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. In other words, all of this, these beasts were all destroyed and everything. They were all done away with. And it goes on then to talk about how that he wants to know what this little horn would mean and what it refers to. Uh, and then it goes on to say that the Lord comes and God takes over everything and the end of all of these beasts come to their end. Now, it goes on to say then in this chapter 7, Daniel wants to know what is the interpretation of all of this? What does all of this mean? And uh, so he said, I would know what this fourth beast means and then I want to know what the interpretation is. And verse 20 picks up on the interpretation. Everybody stay with me. Verse 20. Am I losing you yet? <laughs> Have I lost you yet? I'm trying, to get, I'm trying to get to chapter 8 here. Stay with me. All right. He says in verse 20, And of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up and before whom three fell. That's that little horn. Even of that horn that had eyes. And a mouth that spake very great things. This is at the very end of this whole period of time that's the time of the Gentiles. The time of the Gentiles has two factors to it. One is that Israel would never control herself, but other Gentile powers would always be in control. Number two is that God would deal with the Gentiles and take out of the Gentiles a church about for himself. And that's us. That's where we come in. We are the good factor, the good side of that whole picture. And, uh, and then also that the Gentiles, of course, these empires, one after the other, would rule the world, and it would last for 20, 2,500 years. Moving on here in verse 20, and it says, And the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up, and before whom three fell, even that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. And I beheld, verse 21, and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. Now, this is the Antichrist. Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. In other words, that's when the stone smote the image on the feet and God then raised up the kingdom of God and it had preeminence and it had dominion. Now, uh, without going too far into these things, I want to just say this. The rapture is the first thing that will happen. The rapture is the Lord coming back for his church. That's the next major spiritual thing to happen. The Lord is coming back for his church. And if you want to be ready to go in the rapture, repent of your sins, be baptized in Jesus' name, be filled with the Holy Ghost and walk with God and serve him and live for him. Praise the Lord and obey the word. And uh, that's why pastors are given to us. That's why uh, our ministers are given to us and our teachers is to help us to serve God and to worship God and walk with him in spirit and truth. 
And so all of these things are given unto us that we might be able to be in the rapture, praise God. And then when the rapture takes place, the world is going to go through a tribulation period. It's going to go through some very difficult times. And it's during that tribulation period that the wrap-up of all of this is going to come to pass. And it all begins to happen in chapter 11 of the book of Revelation. We don't have time to go to that now. But in Revelation chapter 11, it begins to happen. It happens in 11 and 12 and 13. As you well know, Revelation 13 is all about the Antichrist. And uh, it's about how he rises to power in the world. And the Antichrist will be the culmination of this time of the Gentiles, where the Gentiles have power over everything. And whenever they do, when he does rise to power, he will go against all the Jews. The Antichrist will be the Hitler of the world against the Jewish people. Just like Hitler was in Germany and, and Europe, but you know, much of Europe, not all of Europe, but much of Europe, and he was anti-Jewish. And he persecuted and killed many Jews. You well know that. You know that. Uh, that's, that's history. But just as, he, as Hitler did that in his followers, the Antichrist would do the same thing with the Jews the world over. And they will, be, they will be called the saints of God because the Jews will turn back to Christ in the 11th chapter of the book of Revelation. I can show you that just as plain as the nose on your face. I also show you that in Zechariah chapter 12, how they will turn back to the Lord and they will accept Jesus as their Messiah. And whenever they do, they become the Christians of the world. The church will have been raptured away and God will then bring his people back into his grace and they will have the grace of God. But the Antichrist will rise to power and say, no, 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 you guys are not going to be, have the power that you think you are. And he will allow, the God will allow them to go through persecution and they will be, they're called the saints in the book of Daniel. And they will be the saints of that tribulation period, not the church. If you walk with God and you serve the Lord, we'll go in the rapture. The dead in Christ shall rise first. We which are alive and remain should be caught up together to meet them in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's why, folks, you want to serve God now. And you want to live for him today. And then in the tribulation period, God is going to deal uh, with those Jews, which will be the saints of God during the tribulation period. Praise God. Many Jewish people do not like to hear that. They want to feel like they are entering into the millennium now. They think that, you know, they, they want to feel like that they're now it's whenever everybody's gathering back to Jerusalem. But this is only the beginning and it's the surface of it. There's yet more to be to happen and it's all recorded in the Bible and even here in the book of Daniel, which is in their Old Testament. Let me move on a little further here. I know my time's getting away. <clears throat> and uh, I want you to look with me and, uh, in verse 23. It says, uh, thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be diverse from all the king's kingdoms. I'm in mean, verse 23. And shall devour the whole earth and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise. And another, this is the Antichrist now, shall rise after them. And he shall be diverse from the first and he shall subdue three kings or kingdoms. And he shall speak great words against the Most High and wear out the saints of the Most High, which are the Jewish people at that time, and think to change times and laws and they shall be given into his hand until a time 
and times and the dividing of a time. A time is one year, times, plural, is two years, that's three years together, and the dividing of a time is a half a time. And this language that is used here in the book of Daniel is found, I think, is four or five times in the book of Daniel, where it talks about a three and a half year period. It's also recorded over in Daniel chapter 11, about three times it's found over there. And uh, it is speaking of the three and a half, last three and a half years of this, of this entire period of time, or if we looked at the image here, it right down here at the toes, the last three and a half years. And it has to do with uh, the completion that God is going to allow uh, to take place uh, in which he is going to uh, bring about the restoration of Israel in the very end. And it's those last three and a half years. And it's referred to as a time, times, and a half a time. In the book of Revelation, it's spoken of five times, five times. It, sometimes it says 40 and two months. Sometimes it says 1,300 and so many days. Uh, there's another way of saying it. Sometimes it says a time, times, and a half a time. It's all referred to three and a half years. Spoken of in Daniel four times, spoken of in the book of Revelation five times. And it all starts in the 11th chapter of the book of Revelation because that's where it picks up. Where Daniel ends in chapter 11, where it ends, chapter 11 of Revelation picks up where Daniel leaves off. And it's an amazing thing and uh, so forth. Now, I, uh, let me read these last verses to you and I'm going to conclude here. Uh, it goes on to say here about this Antichrist. I just read this 25th verse. He shall think to change times and laws and everything for a time and times and dividing of a time. Look at verse 26. I'm in 726 still. But the judgment shall sit and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. Verse 27. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom, that's God's kingdom, under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. That is Jesus Christ. Now, two years later, Daniel had another dream. And this happens in chapter 8. And if you look at this one, it says, In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, rather, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, the third year, this is two years later, Daniel at this point now is 69 years old. 69, 67 in chapter 7. Now he's 69 years old here in chapter 8. And uh, the Lord gives him this dream. And then he has another dream here in which he dreams about uh, two particular nations here involved. Uh, as you see these, this is Babylonian Empire. This is in 7. This is the Media Persian Empire. That's in chapter 7. This is that uh, creature, that lion here with the, I mean the, uh, the leopard here. Uh, that's the Grecian Empire. And then the terrible beast. And so we're all in the seventh chapter and so forth. When you get into the eighth chapter, these two empires alone are dealt with. One is because this empire is just about over with. The second one is that these two have very significant uh, information about them, about where the Antichrist will come from. And I'm telling you this because as I go into chapter 8 here, I realize I'm not going to have time to get into it. But folks, this is going to be a fabulous lesson. I'm, I'm serious. This chapter 8 is a fabulous, it is an understanding that a lot of Bible scholars do not even have. And I'm going to show you in the Word of God 
and I feel the Holy Ghost in telling you this. I'm going to show you in the Word of God where it talks about where the Antichrist is coming from, and I can show you these very hot spots in the world today, and they're developing. And uh, I don't know how many of you are aware of the, of the Mahdi. How many of you have ever heard of the Mahdi? So a few, few hands. The Mahdi is, uh, is one of the people that lived back in six, uh, 900, 900 AD that the Muslims believe is still alive. Yeah, they believe he's the, uh, he's the, uh, he is the 12th Imam, the 12th Imam. And the 12th Imam, they believe, is the Mahdi. And they believe that this Mahdi is still alive and that he's going to come back. And when he comes back, he's going to set the whole world in, on, with, with wars and with troubles. And they're looking for him. There's the, what they call 12th Imam Muslims, the Shiites, the Shiite Muslims that are in Iran. And uh, one of the prime ministers that they had in Iran here uh, several years ago, he was very de devoted to this particular religion. It's a segment of the, the, the Iranian religion, of the uh, Muslim religion. And uh, the Muslims, all of the Muslims are familiar with it, but it's called the Mahdi. And uh, many of them believe that the Mahdi may turn out to be the Antichrist. There's been a lot of things written about him and so forth. I won't give you a lot of information next week, but I want you to understand here that this is all coming out of the Middle East, and I'm going to try to pinpoint the country that the, possibly that the Antichrist will come out of. And why I have told you before, keep your eye on a certain country in the Middle East, and why I've said that, and it's all found in chapter 8 uh, here of the book of, of Daniel. So it says here in Daniel 1, I'm going to read this one, and it goes on to say, And in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared unto me, even unto me, Daniel, after that which appeared unto me at the first. So this was another vision, and when he had this vision, Gabriel the angel came to him and gave him the interpretation. And Gabriel, it turned out, was the one that also gave him the interpretation in chapter 7. And Gabriel is called the messenger angel of God. He's the one that told uh, Elizabeth that she was to have a baby. His name would be called John the Baptist. He's also the one that was sent to Mary to say that you're going to have a child. His name will be called Jesus. You well know that. Gabriel, he's the messenger angel of God. Well, he was the one that was sent to Daniel and told Daniel, this is what the interpretation of all of this is. And I'm going to get into this chapter uh, 8 next week, and you don't want to miss it, folks. You don't want to miss it. And so uh, God will honor us and bless us if we look at the Word of God. And when you understand these things, it'll settle your soul and make you feel like, you know what, now I understand why that's happening, this is happening, those things are happening over there, here and yon, because you say it's all in the Word of God. The Bible is tomorrow's newspaper headlines. Amen. It's right up to date, folks. God is right on target with everything. Amen. Let's stand together and let's just lift our hands and worship God and praise him. Would you do that right now with me? Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We worship your God. Thank you for this wonderful audience. Bless our morning service. Touch our lives and hearts today, Lord. Be with us, God, as the word of God comes forth, even in our morning worship, as we praise and glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.